1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, and that can be found on page 1228 on the Church Bible. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is one, the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do take your seats. And if you'd like to pick up your Bibles again, we're going to be looking at those verses from 1 John chapter 5. Uh, Now, I don't know what you thought as we were reading it. Uh, I certainly found myself numerous times this week thinking, let's pray for God's help, shall we? They're not easy verses, some of it, but hopefully we'll have God's help as we've just been singing about. So let's pray. Father, please help us to understand what we read here. Please, would you help us to believe it? Would you help us to love you more as a response? And I pray that you would work on our will so that we want to obey you and follow what this says in the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my computer at home is very much on its last legs. It is old. And so I've been working for the last little while on trying to see what I actually need to replace it. Uh, Rich has been very helpful with telling me what's what, because I don't understand all the options. There are so many options. Everything is customizable. How much memory do you want? What speed of processor? Do you need a graphics card? Uh, Do you want a solid state drive or a hard drive? Or both? I did go for both in the end, Rich. Um, What type of thermal paste would you like us to use when attaching the CPU cooler to your motherboard? Absolutely everything can be tweaked to your personal preference, uh, to the degree that it's actually quite annoying. We're so used to that in modern life, aren't we? There's nothing, you, we just can have everything the way we like it. As they used to say at Burger King, didn't they? Have it your way at BK, do you remember that one? So yes to tomatoes and lettuce, no to pickles in the burger, no ice in the Coke, please, because uh, you know, we're used to picking and choosing and having it exactly the way we like. And everything in our life gets thrown at us that way. And so we come with that kind of attitude when we ought not to have it. We come with that same kind of attitude 
to God. We might see our relationship with him as something with add-ons and optional extras and bits we go, I don't like that bit, I like this bit, not so much that bit. So if you're big on doctrine and theology, you can say, right, I'm going to go big on belief, but I I might not worry so much about love. Or you might say, no, 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 I'm going to major on love. I'll have a double helping of that, please. But I'm going to go easy on the obedience. I'm not a big fan. I'm only going to pick it out and leave it on the side. So best not to give it to me at all. In this letter of 1 John, we see it's not like that. Hopefully that's what we've seen, isn't it? That, uh, that it isn't pick and choose. The Apostle John's been writing to reassure struggling Christians that they really are Christians. And he does that by outlining how you know if you are a Christian. How you know that. What are the markers? What are the signs to look out for? What are the things that you absolutely have to have that aren't the optional extras? They are the bits you absolutely must have. And basically, we've seen a number of those things you have to have, those markers, over the past few months as we've gone through 1 John. But now we head into the last chapter. John is bringing them all together. He's pulling them all together and and he tells us that true Christians love, obey and believe. True Christians love, obey and believe. Now lots of times in 1 John so far those three things have come up. Sometimes they've come up one at a time. There's been a lot on love in one bit or a lot on believing in another bit, a lot on obeying in another bit. Sometimes he's pulled two of them together to say you can't have one without the other. But here, as we get to the final chapter, he's pulling all the threads together and saying, yeah, true Christians, real Christians, have all three of these. True Christians love, obey, and believe. Let's read verses 1 to 3 again. And just listen out for how intertangled they are. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. So you can see how the three are sort of knit together. You can't really easily pull them apart. Verse 1 says, True Christians, those who are born of God, are those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. True Christians have that belief right at the heart of it. And then he goes to say, since we've been born of God, we love him as our father. That's a good thing to remember on Father's Day, isn't it? We we love him as our father. And since we love him as our father, we love his other children too. We love other Christians. You see how they're loving, believing. They go hand in hand there. Since you're born of God, since you believe, you love. How do we know that we love? Verse 2, By loving God and carrying out his commands. Again, obedience now gets brought into the mix. Now verse 2 I think is really interesting. We're more familiar probably with the idea that you would test your love for God by our love for others. So you might say, well, I think John says earlier in his letter, the God we can't see and the people we can see, well we show our love for the God we can't see by our love for the people we can see. I think we're more familiar with that. But this turns that around. It says, how do we know that we love others? By the fact that we love God. As in it's saying love for other people is never going to be what it should be 
unless it's rooted in love for God. If I don't love God first, I can't love you properly. They are so connected. Love for each other, love for God. And then we get this astonishing comment in verse 3. It says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. I don't know if that's how we would have defined what it means to love God. But apparently what loving God looks like is obedience. So if you were trying to pull those three strands apart, you wouldn't be able to do it. The passage would sort of come apart at the seams because they're so interwoven together. We aren't being told here, right guys, you need to believe, you need to obey, you need to love. These aren't instructions at all. These are descriptions. It's saying true Christians do these things. True Christians do do these things. Not perfectly, but genuinely Christians will love and believe and obey. So what that means is we can't say... Well, two out of three ain't bad, is it? So, for example, we can't say that, you know, um, I believe and I obey. I'll do those two, but I, I don't really love. We can't say that. That's a sort of heartless, legalistic religion, you know, where we think it's true on paper. I do believe it and I do do what I'm supposed to do, but our heart's not in it. We don't really care about other people, don't care about meeting their needs, doing right by them, don't really care about God. That is not truly Christian, to simply believe the right things and do the right things if there isn't that love being shown. Neither can we say, well, I obey and I love, but I don't believe. That's a kind of faithless activism. Any old non-Christian charity can do that. You know, we try to do the, non, the right thing, we feel very strongly about it, but we don't agree on what Christians have always believed. There are a lot of empty churches uh, who think this way, where we drain out all the theology, try and keep the rest of it going. We can still say that we love and we're still going through the motions of doing the stuff, but the faith, the truth, the belief in the actual truth is gone. That is not Christian. We can't say as well, I love and I believe but I don't obey. Where we tick all the right boxes theologically, we really care about God and others, at least in theory, because in practice it doesn't actually come out in our lives in obedience. That's nonsense as well. We need to steer away from that, from any of those ideas where we can do without one of them. And we need to steer away from being the kind of church who might overemphasize one of these to the exclusion of the others. If we wanted to say, oh, we are a church that is all about love, by which we mean we ditch the Bible, we, we don't believe what it says, and we don't do what it says. But we are full of feelings, aren't we? We don't want to be that kind of church. Because real love for God is obeying his commands. Real love for people is doing right by them as by what... The Bible says we won't love God if we don't agree who he is, which is what the belief it is. We don't want to be a church where we might say we are all about obedience. We are very disciplined. We have a lot of activity. We do a lot of good works. But without that beating heart of loving relationships, without that clear grounding in the truth. And we don't want to be a church who's saying, no, we are all about Belief, we are all about being accurate and faithful and precise, but the truth 
doesn't move us. It doesn't move us to compassion for people, doesn't move us to worship, doesn't move us to service, doesn't move us to godliness. Now those are all caricatures in a sense. But pulling them apart, when you try to pull them apart, you just see anything other than all three together is so far short of what it means to be truly Christian. I wonder which one of those mistakes you and I would most naturally lean towards. True Christians will be characterized by all three. We will love, we will obey, we will believe. One of the great lies that people fall for is that God is not good. He is not good. So you don't want to believe him because he can't be trusted. You don't want to love him because really he's just a big fuss about nothing. And you certainly don't want to obey him because he's a killjoy. His rules are designed to restrict you and diminish you. Now, as Christians, hopefully we know that that is not true. We really know that's not true. Uh, And John is saying, yeah, for Christians, we are people who know that that is not true. And so we do love him. We do obey him. We do believe in him. Those things now are natural for us, are good. So verse 3 talks about this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now some people's commands are a pain in the neck, aren't they? You think of people who might tell you what to do and they are bossy and demanding and demeaning and pernickety. That is not God's way. We need to believe this, don't we? His commands are not burdensome. They are life-giving. They are good. David Jackman says, his commands are no more burdensome than wings are to a bird. They're not going, oh, for goodness sake, if only I didn't have these things on my back. No, they are a gift. They are the way we're meant to live. They are the way we experience real freedom. They're not a thing that makes it very, very difficult for us. They're a thing that encourages us to flourish and fly. God's commands are an expression of his character. So if we say that we love God, but we don't want to obey him, is to say we find him a bit of a bore. We actually think he is a bit of a killjoy and a pain. He's a bit unnecessary. But when we see him properly, we will agree, won't we, that his commands, they're not irksome and annoying, even when they are difficult, even when they are costly. That might be something to remind ourselves of. This week, we head into each day to say again, whatever it is that God has called me to do today, his commands are not burdensome. They they really are not. Living with, living for Jesus is not a losing battle. Instead, we're told here it's victory. We're told we have and we will overcome the world. We will withstand all the pressures to stop loving and obeying and believing. Whether that's our own internal struggle against those things that get struggle against sin, or the external pressures from our culture or from unbelieving friends and family, or as it was with John's first hearers, with so-called Christians trying to pull us off track. John takes all of those things, all those pressures, and calls that the world, and tells us that will not succeed. True Christians have overcome the world. 
They have victory over those things by carrying on, continuing, loving, obeying and believing. That ought to be really encouraging for us. This whole letter is supposed to be encouraging for real Christians. To come away going, not right, I've got three things to add to my to-do list this week. To instead go, yeah, that does describe me. In, in a small way, I wish it described me better. I wish I was more like that. But actually, as I continue to believe and obey and love, he is showing me what it is to be victorious over all of these things. But then uh, in the next bit of our passage, John focuses on one of those things in particular. Having said that you can't separate them, he then zooms in on one of them in particular, the area of believing. And I think he does that because this is the area where their opponents have most clearly failed. They have also failed to be loving. They have also failed to obey God. But this area of they failing to believe is the most clear way because they've thrown away the central truths of the faith. And so in this, this next bit, we're told that true Christians believe the truth about Jesus. True Christians believe the truth about Jesus. Christianity is good news. It is a set of facts about something which happened. They are truths that we need to believe. And we saw that right at the start of 1 John. It was a long time ago now, but back in chapter 1 when John said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We didn't make it up. We told you what we saw and heard Jesus do. That truth about Jesus, you've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Because true Christians are people who believe the truth about Jesus. So in verse 1, he gives us a little bit of that truth. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So there's one bit of it that we have to hold on to, that Jesus is the Christ. But that isn't the whole thing. He gives us more in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is about who Jesus is. Is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, or not? We must believe, trust that he is. Those people who'd left them, who'd walked away, said, no, he's not. We don't believe those things anymore. They were now anti-Christ. We get that from chapter 2, verse 22. It says, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such person is the Antichrist. So that's what these people were like. They had stopped believing the truth about Jesus. You get the same idea in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And if they don't believe that, they're not. So there's lots of wrong ideas about Jesus. People saying that he was not God. He was not the Christ, not that rescuer king who'd been promised. He hadn't come in the flesh. He wasn't God in human form when he is. Now I think that's what's going on. That's all that is behind the rather confusing verse of verse 6. It's been called one of the most difficult in the New Testament. I'm sure, I, I'm sure I read that in a commentary every other sermon. This is perhaps one of the most difficult. Anyway, we'll see if we can get to it. It says this, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, 
but by water and blood. <laughs> there we were thinking he came by water only. No. No, let's not pretend we knew what that meant. Uh, there's lots of options for what that actually might mean. I think the, most, the one that makes the most sense is that the water here is talking about Jesus' baptism and that the blood is referring to his death. Um, the reason I think that was because there, there were heresies, wrong ideas around at the time, that Jesus was just a normal man, just a, a regular person like us, until at his baptism he received his superpowers or whatever. That's when he became special. That's, that's when he, God descended upon him and he suddenly, wow, now you are Christ's saviour, person who's going to sort things out. But that all of that godness, if you like, left him just before his death. Now, some people still think this. It's similar to what Muslims believe about the cross. That God's servant was whisked away before his death. He didn't really die on the cross. Or to use more modern theological terms, Jesus might have died on the cross, but the Christ didn't, as if they are two separate things. Now, this might be stuff where you think, well, I've never come across that before. But John is saying, yes, Jesus came by water. Yes, his ministry did start with his baptism. But he also came by blood. His ministry carried on in and through his death on the cross. The one who died was the same one who came into the world. God in the flesh, bleeding, dying to rescue sinners. So he didn't just come by water only and then that was it. No, he came by water and the blood. So the whole of his ministry from the River Jordan to the cross of Calvary... From his baptism to his death, from beginning to end of his ministry, Jesus is the Christ. Does that make sense? And it was before that too, because it says he came in the flesh. So from the very moment of his conception, he has been the Son of God, Christ. From eternity past, he has been God. But this is trying to say against those people who would say, no, it was just by water. So he's not actually, there's nothing particularly special about Jesus in and of himself. And he says, no, absolutely there is. Or no, he didn't really die, or the dying bit isn't really the best bit. It's a bit of a shame, really, the dying bit. No, the dying bit is absolutely essential to our faith. So it's not enough to think Jesus was just a great man or, or somebody who God used. We must believe in him as the God who died for us, the one who came, including all the way through to coming by blood. True Christians will believe that. We believe the truth about Jesus. This is what God has told us. Verse 6 to 8 talk about how the water, the blood, and the Spirit all agree in what they tell us. So it's kind of like three witnesses giving accurate testimony, accurate evidence. It all agrees. So we have the Holy Spirit kind of corroborating what the water and the blood point to. Those objective facts of Jesus' life brought home to us with conviction by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we accept it. We accept it for what it is, God's testimony. Something that's stronger, something that's truer than anything anyone else could tell us. We believe all sorts of things, don't we, that people say. We hear things and we just accept it. Or we hear it, we weigh it up. And then go, oh, well, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Verse 9 says, we accept human testimony. 
So often we accept what people say. How much more should we accept what God tells us? God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God. This is truth about Jesus from God, about the most important thing. Eternal destinies are at stake over whether or not we believe this. Let me read verse 10 to 12 again and just listen out for how important it is that we believe the truth about Jesus. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Isn't that huge? It's saying if we believe the truth about Jesus, we have eternal life. If we don't, then we don't. Life is found in the Son and nowhere else. So can you see why John is at such pains to show us this? Because we have to believe it if we want life forever with God. People who reject Jesus, people who swap him out for a version of Jesus that suits them better, have chosen death. They've chosen loss instead of choosing life and victory. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's test ourselves. Do we believe the truth about Jesus? Do we believe that he is the Christ? God the Son, come in the flesh, come to die for us. Do we believe that? And believing, remember, that's not just agreeing with, it means trusting in. So is this Jesus, this particular Jesus, is he the one we're believing in? Is he the one we're resting our hopes on? Because true Christians do believe the truth about Jesus. Unlike Burger King or that uh, computer website, we can't just pick and choose the bits we like, unselect the bits we don't. As an old TV program I used to watch once said, the truth ain't puppies. A bunch of them running around and you get to pick your favourites. One truth. Believing in that truth is not something we can opt out of. Same as loving, same as obeying. So let's reflect for a moment on that. As we think about those things of loving, obeying, and believing, we're just going to have a, a minute or two quietly. Uh, this isn't a discussion time so much as a discussion in your own head as we reflect on some of these things about loving, obeying, and believing. Maybe which of those things might get most of my attention? Perhaps, perhaps even to the point of overemphasis, I don't know. But which of those might get most of my attention? Which of those things would I be most likely to neglect? And then to think about how we redress the balance. Let's just have a, a, a minute or two to quietly reflect on that and then, I'll, and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your Spirit you have told us the truth about your Son. And if we have him, then we have life. So please help us to hold on to that truth, to go on believing it, 
and to go on believing it in a way which changes us so that we love you, so that we love one another and do what you call us to do. We pray these things because we want to be those who truly do believe and obey and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.